do something extraordinary. Hello and welcome to the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from the practice green at the Tate's Creek Golf Course, wondering how in the hell Lee Trevino ended up here with the course record at a place like this. And this is Season 4, Episode 7. Do something extraordinary. It's a phrase so simple, so nonspecific, that it could be part of a corporate mission statement or on a motivational poster beneath a beautiful photo of Icelandic mountains. I'd not be surprised to see it painted on the walls above the mirror of the local UFC training gym. Yet in the imagination of someone motivated by a desire to be of service, to simply improve lives in his community, not in the pursuit of glory or celebrity, the words do something extraordinary become something much, much more. A powerful rallying cry for the lives touched. I don't know how else to convey how impressed I am with my guest today, Shad Lacefield, and what he's been able to accomplish in a relatively short time with his Do Something Extraordinary golf club. Listen closely, folks. This is going to be the best thing you hear on the Blind Shots podcast this year. When Shad was a teacher at Deep Spring Elementary School, he created an after-school program that brought golf to the underserved and underprivileged community that made up the students in his charge. Without too much in the way of resources or a program blueprint, Shad created a thriving program that has grown from trying to broaden the horizons of a handful of kids at one school and expanded it into a program that incorporates STEM learning, that's an acronym for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, for those of you without young children, and taking it into the after-school golf curriculum, as well as offering its members the opportunities to find mentors and friends from outside their immediate communities that they likely may never have had reason to interact with otherwise. As I listened to Shad humbly describe what he's built, what he's turned into a career, I sat in awe. He's exactly what our community needed and what golf needs writ large. Never mind the grow-the-game nonsense from the corporate goons trying to foster the next generation of well-to-do customers to be fleeced with merchandise and fancy experiences. The Do Something Extraordinary STEM Golf Club actually is growing the game. Frankly, it brings together the best of golf and the best of those who love the game in a pursuit that truly is extraordinary. Listen for yourself. Um, now, do you guys take road trips with the program at all? So we don't. Um, everything with the program has been pretty much centrally located here in Lexington, um, primarily because the students that we work with, they struggle with transportation. That's always one of the big factors that you're dealing with. And um, it's interesting with one of our partnerships, the Gilbert and Bennell Foundation, um, I know that they have their league during the summer where there's a little bit of travel. And that's something that we're trying to work our kids up to, maybe participating in that. And I'm actually working on getting my CDL um, okay. as part of the job that I have currently. Um, but then the the perk of having that CDL would then be if we wanted to do a trip, then I would be able to drive the bus on that trip because I would have my CDL and that we would able to maybe take a team of kids to go do that. And it would be a little bit cheaper because we wouldn't have to pay you know, right. for a bus. And cost is always a big thing um, within our program. And so I think it would be a good way for us to be able to give kids those opportunities. Because right now, we're very fortunate. Lexington's a really good place for golf courses. Mm -hmm. And so there's always a different one that maybe they've not seen or they get to experience. Um, but it would be cool for them to see some of the other ones around the state and get them to go out or go on a trip. Like I said, most of these kids probably have not gone on a trip. Let alone right. A How many have trip. been outside of Lexington? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll start you off with this one, a two-parter. Explain to the listeners what the Do Something Extraordinary Club is. And what I really want to know is why golf? Mm. How, did, how, did that, how did those two ideas get together? I love it. Um, so Do Something Extraordinary Golf is an idea that was basically what if we could take elementary school kids and teach them golf completely free, no cost at all. Um, 
We primarily work with third, fourth, and fifth graders, and it's an after-school club, so we have to get approved by the school's um, SPDM to be able to, to host a club there. Um, but we wanted to allow kids to learn enough to feel comfortable with maybe continuing the game later on. Um, and so th the hope with the program was we give kids that fun outlet that's after school, something to get involved with. Um, and the reason why golf is, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. So I played baseball high school, played baseball in college. Um, I played basketball in high school. And then when I started teaching, I was coaching middle school and high school basketball. And so those sports are kind of like the, the run of, like, you know, most kids would probably know that it would make sense since I have that background, why not do one of those sports after school? Right. Um, but one thing I found with coaching those sports is if you're not tall enough or fast enough or fill in the blank, then sometimes you cannot be successful. And what we were trying to do with golf was allow any kid, no matter how tall they are, how fast they are, um, whether they have, whether there's special needs um, or have an IEP, which is a individualized education plan, um, no matter what it is that they were bringing to the club, they would still be able to have fun, be active, get outside, and learn like a really really cool sport. You know that that's interesting because I thinking back my own. Now I'm a little older than you, I think. We'll just, <laughs> we're not going to say how much older, but you know I remember there were because I was like you. I played football, basketball, baseball growing up, like the the American triumvirate of mm -hmm. sports. And then, yeah, like the kids that were, as you went, as you got older, you kind of filtered towards the top of the pyramid and the kids that were smaller or slower did other things. That's, you would, out in the county level schools, I had the benefit of, of country education and city education being on the outskirts of Louisville, mm -hmm. Bullitt County. Okay, yeah. So, like all of a sudden, and you see, there was a difference between the kids playing soccer and the kids playing football, the kids playing golf and the kids playing baseball, mm -hmm. I mean, not just socioeconomic, but like physically there was something. It's interesting that you're able to kind of pick up on that and bring golf to everybody. I love that idea. Yeah. And it's funny, too. I always tell everybody that golf is a very humbling sport, but it's also a sport that even the small successes are almost amplified because it is so humbling. And so for kids, they can miss a ball eight times in a row, but as soon as they make solid contact, like you, you just hooked them for the rest of the time and they love it because it's like it was really challenging but I was just successful. I love that feeling. Let's try to get that feeling again and again and again. Their little egos aren't crushed yet. <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I know from, from talking to some of the pros around town that it was a struggle for a long time to kind of get golf. It's coming from the city. Not, not. So how did the comp, they couldn't get either the background check process was too lengthy or they just met resistance and kind of got the runaround. How did golf how did you arrive at bringing golf kind of from inside rather than from outside how did that work and who are, and talk a little bit about who kind of your partners are and mm -hmm. within the community so when we started it was just um so i was at teaching at the school deep springs elementary where dse initially comes from the initials and uh with, with our demographic, we were like, let's just, we had these old sets of clubs that were donated by the Kiwanis Club. They were like, we're getting out of the business of cutting these clubs down and donating them. We have like these 11 sets left over. Like, we're just going to give them to you guys. And so then I talked to our PE teacher and was like, what if we did this golf after school club? And you know, just really small doing the basics. And he's like, yeah, that was great. So we had so much success within year one and year two with how many kids were doing it that the thought was then, well, let's let's bring it to another school. Um, and the initial bring it to another school was the hardest. Starting it in your own school was easy because I was in the building. I knew the principal. Um, he knew the teachers that were going to be involved. He knew the kids. We could go through the process with them, and he trusted us with, okay, I know who you are. Let's start this thing. And then he saw all the benefits of it, and he was like, yeah, I'm fine if you guys continue to do this or raise money this way or do this. When you're branching out to another school where you don't have that connection, it, it becomes more challenging. So then every school that per participates, it's interesting to work in Fayette County for as long as I have. I've met a lot of teachers in the district. Um, sometimes a lot of teachers have taught in several different schools. Um, so like a Deep Springs school may have teachers that have been there for a couple of years and then they end up teaching at another school. Well, now I have a relationship with that teacher that we've worked together and I'm like, hey, you remember the DSE Golf Club? Would you like to start it at your school? And so having that point person in the building to be an advocate for you, to be like, this is how it works. This is what it's going to look like at our school. This is how it benefits the kids. Um, it made that transition 
easier. The first one was the hardest. Um, but then once you did the first one, now it's been super easy because our goal was to grow by one school every year. And we started in 2017. Um, but now we work with seven schools. And so we have exceeded that expectation of just growing by one elementary school. And we're almost now getting to the point with my new position that we might even have like a waiting list um, because we'll have so many schools that want to participate. But the facilities and organizing something much larger than I than I anticipated that it was going to be um, at this point is is going to be challenging. But again, you, got, you just have to have that person. You have to have the person in the building uh, to be your advocate, to be like, this is going to be something really, really good. And then with our partners, we, we talked about it. It's free golf. Like that was the expectation. So the free golf at an actual golf course. At an, yeah, at an actual golf course. And that doesn't happen without Parks and Rec. Like Parks and Rec was a, a big part of us being successful when we started to grow. Um, <laughs> the first time that we took our kids golfing, we actually went to Manowar. And the way that we did it was we did a jeans day. So teachers could pay money to wear jeans. And again, the principal is allowing this to mm -hmm. happen. So we took all that money to pay for a private junior pro lesson nice. at, at Manowar. And that was my thought process. We were going to teach them the basics and then take them out to Manowar, which is beautiful. And they've got such a good youth. They've got youth instructors. So exactly. they know how to work with kids. Perfect. And so it was like, this will be great. Um, so then we go that day uh, out there. And it's, it's hilarious because, again, these kids have never seen anything like that. So they thought the grass was fake. They're rolling around on it. They're, like, touching it and stuff, and you're trying to tell them, you can't do that. Um, and the junior golf pro at the time is Curtis Mitchell, and he comes out. And he goes, what in the world is this? And I was like, well, let me tell you. He goes, that's not what they told me was coming today. <laughs> they told me that this was a junior golf play. I was like, that's that's kind, but not really what is happening right now. Um, and he was great. And he gave us the lesson. He let us stay longer than we needed to. And then his following year, he started his work at Moved Parks to the and City. Right. And so then I approached him, like, what would it look like with a partnership? And we just got to use the facilities for free. And he said, okay. Um, that's that's but a, that would be a little bit more challenging. He goes, no, I think it's good. That's a well, that's awesome. huge on your fundraising. You oh. don't have to. Mm. Um, tell me a little bit that that those early classes, just so people understand that you're not you're not bringing drive, chip, and putt into the schools. Tell me about who some of these kids are. Yeah, for sure. Generically, obviously. Mm -hmm. So um, primarily we work with minority students um, in low-income schools. So we were just looking, like I, I just brought up our, our data and stuff like that. So um, we'll have over almost 60% this year that will be minority students. Um, out of the minorities, most of them are African-American, um, but we also have um, Hispanic and, and Asian, um, and we actually also have uh, American Indian as well. And so most of these kids um, are going to be coming into it with zero knowledge of what golf even is. Maybe they've kind of seen it or heard it, um, but their backgrounds are going to be their parents couldn't afford it, so they have no idea growing in like what, what this could be and what it's going to look like. You're going to have an explosion because they're bringing back Tiger Woods video <laughs> golf video <laughs> right? games, so yeah, all of a sudden they're going to be exposed to that mm. uh, by an older sibling or something playing this golf game. I'm just oh. That's my prediction for you. Gonna, I love it. It's going to explode next year. Oh, that's so true. Um, and then... Also, almost, I think this year, I think we're close to 80% will be free and reduced lunch as well. So you're working with a group of students that have no background knowledge of what the sport is. So you really have to start at the very beginning. This is what a golf club looks like. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, which side you would hit the ball with. And we call this the head and this is the face. And this, I mean, we go through the first couple classes are just introductory what is golf and now are you doing that or is a is a young aspiring golf pro coming in and helping with this process how does this what does this look like so it's it's just us um i developed the curriculum at um deep springs when we first did it and so then it's kind of as we've learned the process of how much background knowledge do they have or how do I differentiate it? There's the teacher in me from the new kids that are just coming in as opposed to the kids that have been in our program. What is a step by step process that we can go through that allows them to eventually when we show up to the golf course, um, feel like they belong and feel like, OK, I'm ready to go swing a golf club. Um, most of the time we have 
homework assignments or things for them to do, but it's very, it's very basic. It's like, let's, you know, read a fun story that goes along with the club names or um, something along those lines that kids can, can get involved with. Um, but really, each of the lessons are done by me and my coaches. And as we've grown, luckily, we have community partners that we are able to pull in. So um, we have sponsored days. And so one day we may be at the golf course because we have like 45 kids that are there and I can't do that all that by myself. Um, and most of my coaches don't have a ton of golf knowledge either. They're teachers that maybe have played golf a couple times that are like, yeah, let me run this program. And so we'll have like the Asbury university golf team or the EKU golf team come or, or transy. Um, we also have the local high schools that will sponsor as well. So Frederick Douglass has been a big part. Um, and Rhett bringing his team out and supporting and helping. And so that allows not just our kids to have that exposure and peer mentoring, but also allows me, who's also not a great golfer, to hear how would I teach this to a kid? Let me hear what terms they're using or, or how they're showing a kid to specifically change this part of their swing. So that way, me and then my coaches who are also watching can then use that same terminology to help another student later on down the road. Can just help with the basics. And that's yeah. um, something you mentioned there I just wanted to, to follow up on. You talk about being comfortable at the golf course. One of the things that I have conversations with my pros from the city, you know, I'm a gypsy. I play city golf. Mm -hmm. One of the things I like to talk to them about is, especially for kids that don't come up in golf, how are they, you know, other than just by osmosis, how are they supposed to know, take your hat off in the pro shop, be quiet when someone's lining up a putt, you know, where you stand so that you're safe and somebody's comfortable while they're taking a swing. Like basically the, the etiquette, for lack of a better word, is that it, it, does that get molded into the curriculum or there's just not enough hours in the day for something? like No, that? I love that. Um, so there is. So so part of our curriculum, we have, we call them our guidelines for success. Um, it's now changed since first he um, recently came back into Lexington. Right. Um, they, 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 I was going to say, is there sounds like your Venn diagram overlaps a little bit because the first he has, you know, the principles and mm -hmm. it's it's life principles, but it's also on course kind of principles. Okay. So yeah. And, and, and that's what happened. So I, when we were running in 2017, there was no first tee in Lexington. So what I did was I kind of created my own thing. And then when first tee came in, they're like, well, what you're doing with your guidelines of success sound very similar to our game changer guidelines. What if we mesh the two? And I was like, I'm great with that. So then we meshed the two. Um, I got first tee trained and some of my coaches got first tee trained as well. And so then we started with our guidelines, um, specifically having, much like First Tee does, the expectations that can apply to the golf course, the classroom, and their house. And so when it comes to etiquette, one of our lessons or games that we're playing involves teaching kids like, okay, this is a putting game. What do you guys need to be doing while this person's putting? Or um, we're over here, we're going to play this par three today over at Meadowbrook. Um, so we're going to work on where do I stand when the other person's hitting? Um, who gets to go first? Who gets to go next? What do I do when I'm fixing a divot? What do I do when, you know, there's, there's that person's team? And so then we kind of allow them to experience it all, but in a very controlled manner. And um, there's still not enough time in the day. Wish you could do a whole lot more. But it's, it's meant and geared towards allowing kids. And here's the other big thing, too, that we started. So parents as well. So we tell parents that this is not a normal practice. This is not a drop your kids off and leave. We want you to stay because we also understand that you probably have no idea. And we want to help you understand if your kid loves golf, this is where I come. This is the chipping and putting area that's free. Most of the parents don't even know that most chipping and putting areas that are on a golf course are free. And so then it's like this would be a place that you don't have the money to, to play 18 with your kid or you don't even know how to play golf. And you're like, I'm not going to play 18. But you could drive them up here and then you could chip and putt with them because everyone maybe has done putt-putt golf. And so showing them those things and then teaching them the etiquette um, to where even they drive a golf cart and then they're like, okay, maybe I feel a little bit more familiar with how to drive a golf cart. So maybe my kid does have a youth on course pass and now he's going to be able to pay $5 and that's more cost effective. And so we rent a cart, he pays $5 and then now I can take them. So it's also helping that generational gap of, I don't know anything about golf. My kid loves golf. How can I help them stay into it? And, and that's a big piece. I, you mentioned youth on course. I was wondering what kind of if there was another overlap on your Venn diagram with them. And for people that that listeners of this may know, but uh, youth on course is a national organization with local chapters and associations that basically raise funds. And you correct me 
So mm-hmm. it sounds like you're deep in the weeds here. But they raise funds so that at participating courses, and I think all of Lexington's city courses participate, mm-hmm. um, the child or the, the parent of the child will pay for them $5 to be able to walk the golf course and play. And then the, the foundation, the Youth on Course Foundation, subsidizes the course. So the course isn't just losing you know, all of their money on that. So it's really it's an access initiative. Um, and it's, it's a blind initiative, boys, girls, black, white, brown, purple, green, doesn't matter. Just show up, show your youth on course card and go from there. Um, now you mentioned about 45 kids for practice. How, how many kids are you getting out of school? Um, you talked a little bit about kind of the the size and just the way the program's grown from, from deep Springs organically through, Mm -hmm. through Lexington. So um, usually when a school is just starting out as one of our new schools, they'll have probably um, anywhere between like five to ten kids in their first. And so, again, with third, fourth and fifth, it would just be a mixture of of those age groups. Um, And then once you have that first year and the word gets out of what this is and kids are telling their friends about it, then usually that next year you'll see a growth into almost 20 kids that are out of school. Um, what we also end up happening with, again, working with the Title I schools, you have a very transient population. So we have huge turnover, um, kids that are leaving because of jobs or life or situations. And then since we do fifth grade, the fifth graders move on to sixth grade. And so like we have usually a huge turnover every year. Um, but, but the big thing is, is always within each school that we have enough that there's a safe support between a teacher that can run it. So you couldn't have like 75 kids at a school want to participate because then one teacher wouldn't be able to run it. So we try to let a school know. We usually try to limit one teacher per 10 kids just for safety purposes. Um, if you want to register 20 kids, if you have two teachers that want to support, then it kind of helps. This year we're bringing in parents as coaches as well. So a school can have both a teacher and a parent um, that want to support. And then as we started to grow, it said it was 10 kids at, at Deep Springs. And then our year two, we were over 20 plus kids. Um, and we had four teachers in the building that were supporting it. And then when we moved it to uh, Garden Springs, which was our next school, um, that first year, I think we had 12 kids that were doing it at Garden Springs. And then the year after that, it was Northern. And then Northern kind of showed us what it looked like to start small. I think they had maybe six kids. And then the next year, they had 24 kids. And so then as we've grown from Northern to um, we have Mary Todd is another school that Mm -hmm. we're we're working with. We've worked with Mill Creek. we're now doing uh, Carter G. Woodson this year is one of our new schools that the are academy. doing the academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's all boys um, and minorities as well. And so uh, w- as we laid the, the foundation for each one of those, again, the teacher that's starting it there is actually a teacher that was at Northern that volunteered with our golf club at Northern Elementary. Now she teaches at Carter G., and so, so she took the program. She took the program with her when she went, and so then and that's how it was able to to get started there. And I think well, we always tell them, you know, you're going to register about five to six. And I think they registered almost fifteen the first because again, <laughs> she knew beforehand, right. and so then it was able to you, know, you talk it up with the kids. Um, I think right now at our max, we could probably after school wise have a hundred kids. Um, that we could facilitate in a calendar year. I think if we start to, which the goal is every school has the opportunity, we will really need to look at um, how does that run within the facilities. Because when you look at a soccer facility, you have several places that teams are playing, but it's all confined. Right. Like you wouldn't be able to do that on a golf course. So you do have 18 holes, but usually in that, in that scenario, um, you're not like, like all the teams are playing on like hole one. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work like that. Um, and then with the facilities as well, Parks and Rec has always been awesome about supporting us as well as like um, Athens um, Golf Complex. They let us come there for free and do activities. But again, and transportation. Stuff. You got to get the there. Yes. And so I think once we reach a point to where we're over a hundred kids that it'll need to, I'll need to re <laughs> I'm going to buy you a dump truck full of birdie balls. Are you familiar with birdie balls? Love birdie balls. Yeah, you, yes. You're going to be the greatest birdie ball golfers in the world. That's, I love it. That's what it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's not just golf because as you know, there are so many different lessons available within the game of golf, spiritual level, physical level, math, science, STEM level. Tell me what a typical session, afternoon, or typical week for somebody that's a member of the DSE club looks like. Yeah. As we're sitting in your beautiful conference room, <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at drone technology, and it, it looks, 
you're about two fluorescent or halogen lights away from the basement at Man of War because you've got it looks like a golf lab in here. So tell me a little bit about kind of what the program actually does kind of on a day-to-day level and and how that's grown and changed. So um, initially it was, let's just bring the the game of golf to the kids. Um, And then it turned into, we have so many kids that love this. How can we connect golf more to their life experiences, whether that be at home or at school or in their community? Um, So we started all these different events Um, So we do force on the course with veterans. And so then um, we'll be doing that on November the 8th. And with this event, kids uh, get a buddy veteran to golf with that day. And so they'll make posters for their veteran. They research and learn about their local veteran. They post that in their school. But then specifically, again, with the STEM tie-in that we're doing now, because we're officially moving to the Do Something Extraordinary Golf STEM Club, we have each branch of the military that's going to be showing what STEM looks like in terms of the careers that are available in STEM when it comes to the military. So we're going to have um, a helicopter out there and the National Guard unit that was actually a part of the uh, rescues and stuff during the flooding, they're going to be there. And so they're going to be talking about all those things. And then we're also going to have, much like you see here, we're going to have fun STEM golf games using our Sphero robots or our drones that help get kids, because this is our kickoff event. So this will be very like introductory to golf. Most of these kids have never been to the golf course, but we're so thankful that King Trace is willing to have us out there for free to do this event. And, um, and so then getting kids, their parents, and then also the veterans to experience golf in a fun, relaxed manner. Um, that's also incorporating STEM and coding and drones and fun things that kids probably didn't really understand could be connected. Um, And that's, I think, the cool part of golf is that there's a lot of things that we do in golf that we don't realize how connected they can be to everything. Like you were mentioning, your life and and then in in math and science and and all of those things. And so usually within a calendar a year, we do once a week. And that's the other big thing, too, because when you get teachers, if you do several days during one, that's that's a lot for a teacher to commit to. Right. And so you're basically you're really a coach at that point. Exactly. And so we want teachers to feel like that they can do it. So we usually do seven meetings Um, within those meetings. It's broken up to like an introductory meeting or a kickoff like we're going to be doing, um, something fun, big event to get the kids and parents excited so that way they come back. And then um, each meeting that's after that, we have our core values um, or the guidelines that they're learning as part of the games. We have some sort of STEM activity as well. So um, maybe we get a STEM meter and we show kids how to use measurement to read how fast the greens are going to be. And so it's it's a fun thing for them to do and that they're learning that math aspect of it at the same time. And then we also have some sort of game or challenge as well that's going with it. And then we also just have like a, just have fun swinging your club and hitting. Yeah. So then you have those rotations and they rotate each time um, that they're going through. And then at the end, we have usually another big uh, kickoff event. And so again, it goes back to, we do another force on the course um, or we do a caddy day where our kids will get a full experience of what it's like to play a golf course, but they caddy for a local golfer. So um, we partner with the high school and college golf teams and they bring enough out. So that way our kids using pull carts, we go to um, Meadowbrook, we'll pull the golf bag and they will caddy. And so then the the golfers, much like we, we had talked about up until that point, our kids have only maybe done driving ranges and stuff. Maybe they've played one or two holes, right. um, but very much us coaching. Now they get to see the game played by someone who knows how to play the game and how they play the game against another high school golfer. So it may be like Frederick Douglass and Henry Clay maybe having two golfers there um, or Lafayette. And so then the kids pull the bags and they watch them. What club are you using? And so we have them ask all these questions. Why are you doing this? And we also have the high school golfers telling them, I'm going to be doing this and this is why I'm doing this and this is why he gets to go first. And this is so then the kids pull, they learn the game from, we call them our experts. And then at the end, we actually have these do some extraordinary bucks is what I call them. And they're like fake money. Mm -hmm. But the kids get tipped from the high school golfers and then they get to use their do some extraordinary bucks to go buy food and candy and stuff in the pro shop. Fun. At the end. So it's like that fun exposure. And again, keeping golf fun for these kids specifically helps them stay engaged and then continue on um, as they're doing it. So we need all the help we can get keeping the game fun for everybody. Trust (laughs) me. Uh, You know, that's something as much as I play, I struggle with. You know, who am I trying to impress with getting as competitive as I get? Um, I think having having my own kids, it's nice to be able to drag them to metal broker to a pitch and putt and just remember, hey, this this is supposed to be fun. It doesn't 
It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be about the, the, the uh, play golf with your head up rather than the head down. Right. Um, I guess what one of the things that, that puzzles me about it, not puzzles me, but it's just the wonderment about it, is why golf? You could have done this with tennis. You, mm-hmm. you know, you could have you could have started just another after school club. But where did how did that providing the opportunity but bringing kind of the game of a lifetime come from? Yeah, and I think it kind of goes back to as well. Besides all the things that golf can incorporate into when you're playing a game, also it's it's a game that's a lifelong game as well for our kids. Um, And sometimes, too, we don't necessarily at this age see the longevity of what it might look like for them. Um, But at the same time, we know that maybe just our exposure to a golf course, to the general rules, may help them later on down the line as they pick up golf as an adult. Um, And I think that's where Parks and Rec a lot of times sees the benefit as well. It's like we're supporting you now with the kids and stuff that we eventually see that maybe, you know, they're like, hey, maybe I'm going to actually get my kid into a league, you know, once once they go out. Uh, the other cool thing, too, is when we look specifically at our kids, we talk about how sometimes people feel like golf is not very inclusive. Right. Um, There's a bad reputation that's well-earned. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what we have found specifically with what we're doing is if it's approached the right way, it's for us one of the most inclusive sports that we could have because we have students, like I said, that have special needs, that can feel just as successful as somebody that is, you know, much taller than everyone else in their grade level and much faster than everyone else in their grade level and and currently is running from baseball practice to come to golf practice right after. And it's it's one of those things I feel like it's really cool how golf can sometimes level the playing field um, between those because most of us when we start out, we're all bad. Right. <laughs> Very so, few natural born golfers. Right. And so then it's a way for them to even build relationships to grow good in the game together. Um, and so we see a benefit in terms of how, like the team sport, but then also it's an individual sport. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to, I feel like with how it can really be available and useful to anyone, no matter their situation, that's what was so attractive about getting this started um, at the after-school level. Because again, you can see the benefits from the time that they start to the time they leave. We've had two kids make high school teams that's one of the, there's so many things i want to go back to and i'm i'm not going to just because i'm i'm not that bright but one of the things i want to talk about is the what this is an elementary school program what would it take or do you have discussions or plans to graduate it i don't know what the middle school golf scene i know what the high level mm-hmm. junior golf system looks like i've i've had a guest on lawrence laid that out brilliantly yeah, if did. not cynically yeah. Um, but that bridge from exposure to the game and not necessarily on a competitive level, but is there middle school golf in Kentucky other than you'd have to try out, you'd have to be John Holmes and, you know, make the Campbellsville high school team in fifth grade, right? Right. Everybody, that's not everybody's reality. No. And a lot of it too is within the middle school program, you have some middle schools that do have a golf program. And so if you're fortunate enough to be a kid that goes to that middle school, then you would have that opportunity. Um, Frederick Douglass does a really good job of having multiple teams as well. So some of their middle schoolers may be um, on one of their different colored teams and stuff like that. So that's been a really good method. What we realized within what we were trying to do was if we're going to graduate our kids on after fifth grade, like you said, there's got to be that bridge. Um, And that's where First Tee, when it came in, what naturally turned into what we feel like will be our bridge to get the kids through those middle school ages when they may not be able to do the PGA Junior League, which is phenomenal, but maybe I don't have the hundred and something dollars right. to do that. That's real money to a lot of families. Exactly. And so with our partnership with First Tee, we have a fifth grade graduation and that we graduate them on to if they want to continue First Tee programming. Um, also, as a DSE kid, if you go into First Tee programming, you get a reduced cost. So oh, First nice. Tee still costs, um, but they get a much reduced um, cost for our kids. And sometimes, too, depending on the relationship that we have with that kid, with that family, knowing the background, sometimes First Tee will even be like, they don't have to pay. And First Tee is great because they've got other benefactors outside of just the school system that they, you know, you mentioned the Gilbert Bunnell Foundation. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of fundraising. Um, You also mentioned, you know, some of your exceptional kids that are part of the team. Have you been keeping up to date kind of on 
the adaptive golf scene? Because I feel like, you know, the, the United the USGA just sponsored its first adaptive mm-hmm. national championship. I feel like that is an avenue of golf where we're just seeing tremendous growth and tremendous opportunity because it is a sport that with, you know, some sometimes some very small or reasonable accommodation literally almost everybody Kevin Korn's a PGA pro over in the St. Louis area that I follow on social media and his his mission in life is to take golf into basically the equivalent of Shriners Kids Hospital right I mean he goes in and he takes golf to everybody Mm -hmm. and I feel like that is a golf has a real chance there to maybe clean up its image and to do some of you get a lot of PR lip service from the people trying to make money off golf, but I feel like there's a, an inertia for people that really do love the game and want to take it to the game. So have you been kind of keeping up on the adaptive golf scene and tell me a little bit of how that's grown within DSE? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's quite interesting when you talk about adaptive golf, we did our first force on the course event with veterans, um, a couple of years ago and we actually, Oh yeah, and the the Wounded Warrior program. The Wounded Warrior the, the, program. Talk about getting eyeballs on the adaptive golf. Absolutely. Right. And so we actually have um, one of our golfers that volunteers there actually plays in the adaptive golf league. He rides a solo rider golf cart, which is just the individualized can go in and out of bunkers on the green the way that it's set up for someone um, like with him that has no lower leg mobility. Um, he can still play the game of golf and play it really well. He beats me on a regular basis when we go <laughs> play. And so um, so there was that avenue. And then within that event, um, again, how all things work together here. So I played baseball with a guy named Shay Taylor. Um, and so Shay Taylor is Mr. Health and Fitness 2021. And along with being Mr. Health and Fitness 2021, he also plays adaptive golf. And he's, I think the last time he was like ranked third um, oh, wow. in the adaptive golf. So he's he's a lower leg um, amputation. So he has his prosthetic, but it was a motorcycle accident. And, um, and so he plays, and again, as a, as a lower leg amputee, can hit the ball consistently 300 yards. And it's insane to watch this dude swing. Um, but the cool thing with the Shea situation was we had him come to interact with our kids to show kids what adaptive golf could look like and that people can still play just like we had been come and show what adaptive golf could look like. And then through that process, we were able to then work within the schools to where we've started to do something extraordinary field trip. And so it's a free field trip specifically for special needs students within the schools. There's something called the MSD classroom. And so that's mild to severe disabilities. So that's, um, it's a classroom where a lot of times the kids will try to push into the classroom, but they're not like full-time in the classroom with their specific needs and disabilities. They have to be in their own um, adaptive classroom that right. has the safeguards and everything that helps them be successful. And so what we do now, it's, it's once a year. Um, it's in the spring. And so it's a free field trip. We pay for the buses and everything. And we take a group of kids out um, to the golf course to experience golf for the first time. We partner uh, with Special Olympics Kentucky, and um, they come out. We have Parks and Rec bring junior uh, coaches out as well. Um, The EKU golf management program, um, they heard about it, and they're going to try to join us this year and bring some people out. And it's just a day to, one, show parents of these students specifically, this is what golf could possibly offer to your kiddo who maybe has never done any sports at all. And then at the same time, when you have Special Olympics Kentucky there, they can then share their paperwork to be like, hey, do you want to be a part of what we're doing? Because there is an avenue that maybe you didn't know about before. Right. Um, and so within that specific set of field trip, we can reach those kids, show them adaptive golf, show their parents adaptive golf, and then hopefully help them as they continue on. And we've even talked about too, like there's a lot of times there may be one kid that's a little bit more higher functioning in there um, that then can, we say, we want them to do DSC golf because they can still participate with us if they want to as well. Um, Cause we want to welcome all, but then also sometimes students will have such a, um, a specific need that the parents would never feel really, really safe unless maybe it was with special Olympics, right. Kentucky, but adaptive golf has been, has been great. Um, having that connection with Shay has been great so that he can see that. And then now with the PGA hope, um, with Ben, and then now that what we do to support PGA hope at our force on the course with veterans event, um, has been nice as well. Cause then again, kids can see it as we talk STEM. That's one of the STEM rotations in November is PGA hope will be there and they'll be showing students what adaptive golf looks like for injured veterans and being able to use these devices to get on the golf course and play golf again. So it's really, really cool. That's awesome. 
Um, you know, you've mentioned First Tee and Keene's Trace and Meadowbrook a couple of times. Um, my dream is that when I make my fortune and win the lottery, I'm going to lease Tate's Creek from the city, and I'm going to hire somebody to make it turn it into a nine-hole golf course with a with a par three and a driving range I and love a big that. turn it into a community golf hub. Mm-hmm. I think, especially where it's located, right next to an area that really needs positive outlets, it could be great. Um, what is on your Christmas is right around the corner. What is on your wish list? for the program. And I, I'm not necessarily, I don't want to get you in trouble with the people with, you know, putting the budget together, but <laughs> what, you know, you have come a long way in a short period of time mm-hmm. with, with DSE. What is kind of on your, what, what are your bottlenecks and what's kind of on your wish list as far as other than just more hours in the day, but infrastructure or technology or, or needs, what mm-hmm. kind of, what, what keeps it from getting into every school yet? Right. Um, I think a couple things. Uh, first off, when it comes to just getting into the schools, it's just having that teacher, that, that person. So as long as we have that, it's good. Now, then you have equipment. I mean, we've been very fortunate that we recently received a, a grant from the Kluiver Foundation um, that's going to help us buy new clubs because the current clubs that we have, besides the ones that were cut down, um, are all clubs that usually are Facebook Marketplace or yard sales, like I can find. Speaking of that, is there, I don't want to, I'll let you continue in a second. Mm-hmm. Is there an avenue for people? You know, I've got two kids that are playing U.S. kids clubs. Mm-hmm. Okay. When they grow out of them, I'm not having any more. There's, there's not going to be little brother and little sister behind <laughs> right. them. Um, is that something, you know, for, and these are nice clubs. Is this something that could be available for community, for people in the community as their kids age out to, to bring to you guys? But, and then I'll answer that and then I'll let you get back yeah. to so absolutely, um, we're working on having um, a specific location that you would be able to drop them off at any time. Um, Kearney is currently that location, okay. um, but much like our relationship with Parks and Rec has been awesome, um, they also for sure have their limits with how many clubs that they will let me put up in that closet. That's something because it's like you walk up there and you go to get. That's like Kearney is nice and it's all that. And I was always like, where are all of these clubs? like coming from they're just like a big pile of gloves in the corner and they're like well it's shots and i'm like sorry guys i promise i'm gonna come and clean that up one time uh, in my free time i'm gonna get up there and reorganize all of those clubs you guys are amazing i appreciate it so much um but yes yeah, so we do have a location eventually they can't always be the location and um but that would be a, a great way to get that and um also to some of the times with the clubs that we do have that are that are donated like you said sometimes people are just like oh i donate old clubs and like we get some really rough ones um, but our kids don't care i always tell them it's like it's our hack away clubs like mm-hmm. you can just hack away learn the game have fun if it breaks i'm gonna toss it in the trash and i'm gonna give you another one so your sets may not all match um but with that we want the kids to to fill the part so with the grant that we got we're gonna buy all new clubs that are matching um which will be really really cool and then um, my, my wish there is that there is a specific company that would step in as a sponsor. So like as I get my grant, we can buy clubs from them. So it's not like I'm just asking you for free clubs, but I would love for like a sponsor to be able to be like, let me get you those clubs at wholesale price, you know, what we pay for them. So there's no additional markup and right. you're able to get as many clubs as you can with the limited amount of money you get in a grant. Because, I mean, to be fair, cost is one of the big as far as golf goes, it's the expensive game. It's the expensive, yes. Um, so in terms of equipment, that would be like a, a, a wish on, on that end, to be able to have something like that. Um, I, I would also really enjoy, I think, the long-term aspect of each elementary school is close enough to a golf course that they just have that as their their stomping grounds and just have a like little that. locker and right and that you know you're just that's where your stuff is going to be um i know that's it's it's going to take time and it's going to take some effort to be able to get something like that available but i also know like as we grow i'm not going to be able to be at every golf course every single time um so that's going to need to to look different um but like you had said to have a facility like to to, to have that available would be amazing because then you have access to all right a true community golf uh, hub exactly um meadowbrook has been great as a par three the one thing i really wish meadowbrook had was a driving range or like a a larger practice area for our kids Mm -hmm. um so that way you you have both um we um go out to 
Um, so on <laughs> Nicholas, and again, your your listeners probably probably know this, but um, it's not Widow's Watch anymore. It's golf. It club is again. It's is Golf it? Club of Widow's Watch now. They they've, they've merged it. Yes, it's That's no longer hilarious. that abomination of Golf Club of the Bluegrass. Because I worked out there. <laughs> 2001. Oh, co- yeah. I was in college. I was a cart boy, and I mowed greens on weekends, and eventually graduated the pro shop. So it will always be Widow's Watch to me. That's hilarious. And I think it's the once in future Widow's Watch. There it is. I love it. So the Guildhall Academy is out there, right? And we've which been, is an incredible facility. And that's and that's a perfect scenario of like I have practice areas, I have the specific areas where kids could do things, and then I have a very very short par three. Yeah, the pitch and putt course. Exactly, and that's that type of setup is ideal for what we do. Um, and so having something like that, again, that would be that would be a big wish. Um, having so we started church vans on mission. I guess it was last year um, with Parkway Baptist. So each church that is close to a school, we're having a partnership with those churches and schools because a lot of times schools already have like a church that will do a backpack program to help our um, our kids out. And so we started because transportation is another issue besides mm-hmm. the, the funding. Um, what would it look like if a church provided their van and drove our kids to and from practice so that way it could help the kids out? Well, it weren't great last year. So now the next step is how many churches in Lexington could we get to partner with each of the schools that we're at so that each school has a church van? So if we had a kid that says, I want to do DSC golf, my parents don't get off work in time. How do I get to the golf course and then back to school so my parents can pick me up after work? I think that would be another Big thing, specifically with us branching out to new schools, I've already had parents be like, I don't, I would love to do it, but I don't have transportation. So finding those churches in the community that want to continue with church vans on mission, um, specifically in partner with the school that's closest to you, because then you have that community piece that's already there. Like I'm investing in the school that's right next to where my church is. Right. And find me the church that doesn't want to invest in its community. Right. We're fortunate being on the buckle of the Bible belt here. That mm-hmm. That's, that's a big influence. Um, You've been very gracious. Thank you for giving me so much time this morning. I'll get you out of here on a couple of these. What have you, be honest, because you said you're a baseball player growing up. I'm a washed up baseball player. That's how I found <laughs> okay. golf too. I'm washed up I, as well. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't play college baseball. I wasn't that, I was an excellent scorekeeper. Um, hmm. But what have you learned from the program that you've been able to put into your own game and your father of you're building your own little basketball team at home, (laughs) but are you able to, have you taken golf to them and what have you learned from the program that's helped kind of within your own game? Um, so yeah, the, the four kiddos. So my oldest who's nine. Um, so she has been with the program since we started. So she started at five and I've never pushed her to do it. It's always been, I'm going to go with dad practice type thing. That's the way my guys are. It's like, dad loves golf, so I love golf. Exactly. Like, okay, good enough. That's, and that's perfect. And we do daddy-daughter golf outings. Um, her big thing is every time we go out, she has to hit a golf ball into the water. So we have like this family tradition. We always <laughs> I hit a that. golf ball into the water. And she loves it. And I have like a video of her every year hitting a golf ball into the water. Um, that's getting played at the wedding. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. And so I think that's been the biggest thing I've learned in this position for my kids is that even talking to other parents of kids, like high school golfers, like we always ask, how did you get started? How's your story? And stuff like that. Um, all parents, for the most part, whose kids are really successful, it's like I never forced them. It's always been their drive, their passion. They want to do it. And so I've tried to keep that in my mind. It's always going to be fun. If you want to do it more, great. If you want to go do gymnastics, I'm also great with that. Or soccer, I'm also great with that, as long as you're involved in something. So I feel like that lesson with my kids specifically has been great. Um, it does help that they have unlimited access as well. So to clubs and to golf balls and to golf courses with my position. So they're, they are very fortunate in that, that they can go out and swing usually whenever they want. Um, but then in my game as well, it's so funny. I'll listen to a junior golf pro tell junior what to do to try to fix his slice. And I'll be like, okay, I need to start doing that. <laughs> right. that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so that, that's actually helped a lot as well. Just listening to general instruction because I can buy nice clubs, but really, unless you want to get the lessons, your, your game's not going to improve with a $400 driver. Right. And so uh, learning that as well is, is important, I think, for anyone who's trying to get better at the game. 
But again, those those little tidbits and hints from the junior pros have been really nice. Um, or the college golfers when they're like, I'll oh, try this. Or I'll even pull a college golfer over and I'll be like, who's the best putter on your team? Transy, who you got? Who, come, come on, I have a question. I would just like to ask you real quick. So in this situation, um, so those have been nice. Those, those contacts um, have been pretty, pretty cool. So yeah, that came, that's, that's my connection between the two, but both kids in my game. Is there, is it part of the program or is there an opportunity? One of the things I'm, I'm hearing is there, again, you have kind of organically grown into something that looks, also has the potential to look very similar to a mentorship program. Mm -hmm. Like, are there, do you have the program in place if, you know, if one kid for kind of a big brother's big sister's type relationship with other golfers. Is that part of the program or is that something aspirational for the future? That's perfect that you say that because um, so we do have that going on as we try to always pair up our kids with the same golfers when they come and volunteer, which has been nice. Um, but the other cool thing that we're doing, it's called tees and touchdowns. Okay. And so that's where for the longest time, we have had um, a minority demographic, but when you get to high school golfers and college golfers and all the people that are in the golf community that are not the most diverse crowd, not diverse. so it's like, how can you bring a diverse group of um, mentors in to help benefit our kids? And that's where the tees and touchdowns I did started. So we partner with the University of Kentucky football team and EKU football team to bring their football players in to learn the game with our kids together. And it's a, a twofold um, process. Not only do our kids get to hang out with and grab lunch with and, and eat with the golfers, um, the football players that try to be golfers um, during that event, but then we also go to the spring game as well. And then through that mentoring relationship, again, the same situation they exchanged, we had, it was really cool, um, some of the EKU football players uh, exchanged phone numbers with the parents of the kids. And so like throughout the weeks, the the football players would be like, hey, how's school going? Or, oh, that's awesome. And so... I think when we started tees and touchdowns, that was the the eventual hope. But it was really cool to be like, oh, that happened real fast. Yeah, and kind of organically, it yeah. sounds like. And so that's been cool. And so that's a, a yearly event that we do. Um, and then we also, with the, the mentoring aspect, so we, besides after school, DSC is also um, with foster kids. So Sunrise Children's Services, uh, we provide golf at least one golf program each year for the Sunrise Children's Services um, home. So we'll do friends and fairways with the UK women's golf team, swim team, um, and volleyball team. And we just bring all the girls and from the E-Town campus for Sunrise Children's Services up and they do kind of like one of our events, just like golf and fun and activities. Um, but then we do that for each of the uh, specific foster kids organizations with the hope that, um, again, that relationship happens. So. We have some of the the volleyball girls that met the girls, and then they exchanged email addresses and phone numbers and was like, hey, if you need anything, reach out. How is your breakdown between boys and girls? I feel like, maybe not in the high school, but I feel like from the college ranks forward that the women's job does a little bit better with its diversity, just kind of the way the professional game has shaken out and the way that has kind of filtered down. Are you getting... What's your rough ballpark estimate breakdown of boys versus girls with yeah. the DSE? Well, it's funny because I, I have those current numbers um, of our enrollment. So right now we are about 30% girls. Okay. Um, but each year, because, again, we have such a high turnover. So last year it was 50-50 exactly. Oh, wow. We had, I think it was over... 48 kids enrolled. Um, well, really, we had like almost 70 enrolled, but then with our population, like sometimes they don't come. So really consistently there, we had about 48, and we were exactly 50% uh, girls and boys. Um, this year, it's a little bit less, and the reason why is because with Carter G. Woodson Prep, adding, it's just all boys right. from there. And then we also added Dixie Elementary, and they've registered all boys. And so then when you look at the other schools that have been in the program, you're about a 50%, but now the two new schools just skewed. They just okay. skewed it. Um, but that's been the cool thing to see that it is. That's encouraging. Yeah. That, that it's, it's really, it's golf for everybody. I'll get you out of here on this one. Everyone's got their, we were talking golf trips earlier, mm. and everybody's got their white whale that, that's on the list. So you can mention that if you want. What I think is always more interesting is what's the one you wish you could go back to? Either the, the round that got away that you wish you had played better at or just something that was so special to you that you wish you could go back to that golf course in that round again. So um, it's, it's, very, <laughs> it's very silly, but so Del Hollow, Mm -hmm. um, state Dave, for everybody that's not from here, 
Dale Hollow is a lake, and Kentucky has Dale Hollow State Park mm-hmm. uh, situated next to the lake, and it has one of the best golf courses in the state at that state park. Yes, and it's it's incredible. And I try to tell people it's like every hole could be on a postcard. It really could, um, except for eleven. It's right by the road. That's a long par three that I do not like. I do not like that hole at all. Um, but my wife's family, we always go camping every year. We always go to Hollow every year, and every year I get to play that course. And even though I get to do it every year, like I look forward to it every year. Like, and I always try to, how can I better my score on this? So how can I not hit the rock face to the left on this, this dog leg left? I keep trying not to, and I keep doing no, it. Except the rocks. The rocks will bring you back. <laughs> That's right. You hit them enough times, Sometimes. you're going to get that good bounce. <laughs> One of those times. Um, so really, even though I get to do it almost every year, not last year with the, with the kids, you know, four kids, you maybe don't on lake trips get to do that, but I look forward to it every year and it never gets old. And, and I love doing it. And I always try to think like, how am I going to better my score the next time that I do that? I mean, naturally, if you know, your bucket list, you want to play Augusta, you want, you want to play St. Andrews, you want, you want to do those. Um, but being from, so my ancestors, I'm Irish. That's where the little red in the, uh, the beard comes from. And I do have a beard. I shaved. Um, but I found this, it's called old head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I saw a picture of that one time and was like, I want to play there because that looks epic. Now, granted, I'll probably need at least, you know, 14 dozen golf balls because there's just water and I'm going to trust your caddy. <laughs> trust your caddy. That's what we did. We were talking that I'm at the three year anniversary mark of my Scotland trip. And we did caddies for we didn't do every round, but we did at Carnoustie because it's the hardest golf course in the world. And at the old course, because you just want to be able to worry about as little as possible. And. I won't say at some place like with those dunes at Old Head that you can't lose a golf ball, but they, those guys are pretty good. They steer you around. They, they size you up pretty quickly. <laughs> like because a lot of the times, if you're in a group, the caddies will have a side game on. You know, it's like they're picking horses. You're you're oh, just love it. You're That's just hilarious. the you're. They've got a bet. And they're taking odds on you guys, so they're they're incentivized to get you around. But that that's a pretty good one, you know. And I I like the romance of that. It's like I saw a picture of that. And that's Michael. That's yeah. that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. Good deal. Hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I could have sat and talked about our community, our golf, and the Do Something Extraordinary Golf Club for hours. Shad's enthusiasm for his students, for what he's able to offer through the program, is authentic and infectious. I invite you to take a few minutes online to find out more about the club. They do have an Instagram account at DSE Golf Club KY, which has some great event photos and a link to their website at shadlacefield.wixsite.com slash DSE G-O-L-F. Yeah, I know it's an antiquated website, but at one time, onebeardedgolfer.com was actually just davidhill.wordpress.com. So... You know what? We all grow as we can. Uh, Do Something Extraordinary Golf Club. It's an after-school curriculum. The whole thing bowled up organically from within the Fayette County school system, which is really kind of remarkable. At a time when the upper echelon of golf at the professional ranks are doing everything they can to remind us of why golf has such a bad reputation, Shad and his Do Something Extraordinary Golf Club are showing us the best of what golf can be. And that's something worth rooting for. And worth investing in. I shared with Shad that my only fear for the program is that someone's going to come along and convince him to take his show on the road, expanding the program to other communities so that we wouldn't have his services here in Lexington. But fortunately, he assured me that he's not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. He seemed legitimately grateful for the partners he's made in the community and he has no desire to walk away from those relationships. All the better for us here in Central Kentucky. Hey, I hope you enjoyed what you heard here today. If you didn't like what you heard here, I don't know, man. Get some help or something. How could you not enjoy this one? Also, remember to hydrate and to sit up straight. And as always, when you have the choice, do decide to go for it and take dead aim. Dear Future Community Partner, The Do Something Extraordinary Golf Stemmed Club was started in 2017 and strives to use the game of golf to positively impact underserved students in Lexington and Central Kentucky. 
Since our first session, we have seen how our high-quality after-school programming improves kids' academics, behavior, and attendance, and each year we work to continue to grow the schools and foster care centers we work with. This is where we need your help. Our club is 100% free, and we are in constant need of community partners to join us in our mission to use golf to make a difference in the lives of the students we work with. If you'd like to help us with a financial donation, I ask that you take a moment to look at the attached brochure to learn more about what we do and what we have accomplished. After reviewing the brochure, if you'd like to talk more about becoming a sponsor, please reach out to me as I would love to have a face-to-face meeting at your convenience. Thank you for your time and consideration. Sincerely, Shad Lacefield.